Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related healthcare to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G. This is the MLW Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Prime Time with Sean Mooney. And man, the lineup of great guests continues here on the podcast. Last week was definitely, uh, we had one of those, that was for sure. One of the greatest superstars to ever step into the ring in the WWF, WWE, the one and only Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, I believe that if you have taken the time to listen to that podcast uh, this past week with Ted, you came away with a lot more uh getting to know him, uh, a very different view of a person that we all knew as the Million Dollar Man. But after you heard him talk about his life and his triumphs and the tragedies that he had and the redemption he experienced along the way, I, I think you have a, a very different view. Uh, I said before, I think he's richer than he's ever been. Uh, I also hope last week's podcast really gave you an idea of what this show's all about, not only learning about you know the experience that these uh, folks have had in the ring, uh, during the peak of their careers, but also, you know, finding out who they really are. And, and Ted DiBiase has a fascinating story to tell in that movie that uh, just came out this past week. It's called The Price of Fame. And what a great story. It premiered. And uh, I know a lot of folks got a chance to see it. I hope uh, you were one of them. But if you didn't, I'm sure there's going to be other ways that they're going to get that uh, film out there. But uh, it, it really is a great story. And uh, as I mentioned, we've got a lot more great guests on the way, including uh, some other great superstars and, you know, other people who've had uh, a tremendous impact in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, that is certainly the case with my guests on the podcast this week. I mean, really, folks? Come on. Who else would I want to have on as one of my first guests on this program than one of the greatest announcers in the history of professional wrestling? And we're not talking just, you know, not play-by-play or commentary. I know everybody has their, their people that they, uh, you know, believe are great at that. But when it comes to interviews and hosting, come on. No one does it better than Mean Gene Okerlund. Although we, before we get to Gene, uh, I want to remind everybody that I still have DVDs of the unreleased, never-before-seen matches, 1986 to 1985. And I'm going to draw this week's winner after I have my talk with my pal Gene. So be sure and stick around. You could be uh, the person that I will send that signed DVD to. Okay, so all you have to do uh, to for that chance to win, I want to thank everybody uh, who has already done this, but go to iTunes, give us a review and a rating, and of course, subscribe. We want you to subscribe. We don't want you to miss a single episode. And then I throw all those names into the, there it is, the ding, ding, ding bowl. And I'm going to pick one out uh, after we talk to Gene, and it could be you. Now, keep the comments and the questions and the suggestions coming. You can reach me directly through Twitter at Sean Mooney Who or at PrimetimeMLW and by email at primetime at MLW.com. And now it's time to get to my very special guest here on the podcast. As I said before, the greatest announcer and interviewer in the history of professional wrestling, Gene Okerland. And before we get to Gene, though, i got to give you a little backstory and intrigue on him. Doing my research, I learned a few things about Gene I'd never heard before. Among them, that he grew up on an Indian reservation in South Dakota, 
but he also studied journalism, and he had a singing group that recorded a couple of hits. I can't wait to hear more on all that. He started his career, uh, many as, uh, of you know, with Vern Gagne and the AWA. And, you know, people have asked me uh, many times to rate the best announcers uh, of all time, not just the WWF. And I always say, you know, there's there's uh, Gene Okerlund, and then there's the rest of us. You don't put anybody else in order behind him, and no one compares. And with that, I want to welcome my longtime, close personal friend, WWE Hall of Famer, Mean Gene Okerlund. Gene, thanks so much for joining us this morning here on Primetime. You know, Mooney, it's pretty tough for me to follow that uh, that intro. And huh? uh, you're talking about uh, uh, some of the accomplishments that I've had on the microphone uh, <laughs> on the announcing side of our business. But uh, I always kind of categorize everybody, you know, the uh, the play-by-play guys, right. yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the utility comments, guys, yeah. the color guys. Yeah. And then there were the interview guys. And that's kind of a lost art today. Oh, you, no you just don't have that many pure interviews where yeah. you're shooting from the hip. Yeah, they're scripted and uh, kind of a canned, but I find those really quite boring. Yeah. I liked it when you could fly by the seat of your pants with guys like Savage and Flair and, of course, Hulk Hogan. Andre yeah. was a little tough, but uh, <laughs> that's another thing. That's another story, which we will get into as we go here. But, uh, you know, I said uh, my, you know, my longtime close personal friend, before we get into it, where did that come from? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of your signature, but do you remember when that you first coined that? Uh, I, I, I would have to say that's got to be probably back in the, in the 80s <laughs> when we were moving forth with uh, – when things like that were allowed to be said on, yeah. on television. Yeah. Today, uh, I, I don't know, on, on wrestling television, if you could get away with some of that old canned carny stuff, but uh, it, it kind of worked for me, and I'll probably continue it on for the rest of my career. Yeah, I love uh, it. Which we, we <laughs> at 74, uh, we're hoping it's maybe another 20 years. Yeah, uh, 20, 25, 30, let's go. I know you can do yeah. it. Yeah. You're as still going you strong. You haven't slowed down a up bit. a cocktail, yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's begin at the beginning, though. Did you really grow up on an Indian reservation? I grew up in Sisseton, which is on the Sisseton-Wapiton Indian Reservation up in uh, northeastern South Dakota. And uh, the town was probably around 3,500, 4,000 wow. people at most. And, uh, of course, a lot of the Native Americans... Uh, hail from there, and they were a big part of my early life. Still today, uh, in the summer, we go up to northern Minnesota, and there I get a chance to see the Ojibwa uh, Native Americans, and a delightful people, all of them, and they yeah. do like to have fun. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people knew that connection. And, of course, another reminder, folks, you cannot uh, uh, take uh, you know everything you get on the Internet as, as truth. They had me born in Phoenix forever. And I just figured, okay, if they think I was born in Phoenix when I was actually born in Rochester, New York. So uh, one fact that uh, they thought was putting out there was was uh, proven to be false this, uh, in this broadcast, uh, that you actually were born in, in uh, South Dakota. So uh, the other uh, thing I wanted to ask you about is the fact that you had a band. I mean, you were a singer. I know you sang at WrestleMania, but... Uh, you really had a band that you had a couple of, of recorded uh, it, hits. It, it was an old garage band, Sean. Gene and, uh, Carroll was, uh, and the Shades. Gene <laughs> Carroll and the Shades. And uh, we uh, 
we it was not a great group, but it was a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And uh, I think most of the guys in that in that band of five are gone today. But a couple of guys that I still stay in touch with, and uh, we kind of kicked the can down the road about the good times we had and all the little uh, uh, dance halls and ballrooms that we played in all over the Midwest. It was a very exciting thing for me at the time. But, you know, all good things must come to an end, <laughs> and onward and upward to a radio, which I got into in college and uh, enjoyed it immensely. And that's where it all started, really. Yeah, and you're studying journalism. I was. I studied, yeah. studied under uh, Dr. Thomas White, uh, who was one of the great uh, journalism guys who kind of dabbled in electronic journalism back in those days. It was uh -huh. kind of unheard of. But it was the uh, kind of the entry of uh, uh, radio and uh, television news. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of that kind of helped me, I guess, in the in the career that I chose in kind of a awkward way. I yeah. filled in for somebody at the time, and, and that's how it all happened. Yeah, but in radio, a lot of people talked about the, how they, you know, developed their voice. It was just a, it's a great uh, place to, you know, to really develop. And is that when you really started to think about, hey, you know, I could make a career out of this? Well, I didn't just really have <laughs> quite that much confidence uh, yeah. early on, but uh, uh, whether I was going to make a career out of it, it was a start. And I think that's what we all do in life. It's... Uh, uh, a start, and then it's probably one thing to another. I, yeah. I got into radio for a few years in the uh, mid and late 60s, the old top 40 uh, rock jock uh, type of thing, and mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed that. And, of course, music had been a big part of my life, so I was playing the Beatles, Roy Orbison, uh, all of the uh, top 40 hits of the day. Wow. And it, went, and it was, a, I imagine it was a lot of fun back in the day to be able to spin records the way, you know, it wasn't pressing a button. You were actually putting them on there and making, putting the needle you on. You put the 45s the on and queued them up and, and would kick them off, start them, and stop them. Yeah. And uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I worked with a lot of great guys. And then, and then it all began. Nineteen, uh, but seventy-one. Uh, I don't know what your first connection was with Vern Gagne was, but uh, one uh, one evening he was uh, short of an announcer there, and uh, I I don't know if it was a Wally Pip moment, you know, with like uh, who who Lou Gehrig took over for, but you took. I, I think you stepped in for Marty O'Neill, and and the rest is history. I, I, How did I that did. all happen? For the for the great Irishman from St. Paul. Uh, what happened is Vern came up to me with a, a, a guy that worked for him as a producer by the name of Al DeRusha. I yeah. was working at the television station as a salesman, as an account guy. Uh -huh. And uh, he said, do you have a, a coat and tie? I <laughs> said, well, I do. This happened to be a Saturday, which yeah. was kind of unusual. But I, I kept one there because occasionally I would pop on the air. It was mm -hmm. an indie, not a. Yeah, you did a, it all back then, right? You sold. Right, you, you did it all. You yeah. wore all yeah. the hats. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, I I I got on that first night, and he just said, "Call what you see," and uh, I'll be there to help you. And, and you knew nothing really about wrestling, right? <laughs> Pardon? And that was wrestling. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. But you didn't know anything about it? Yeah. <laughs> like <Nada>. me. Nada. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it all worked out, and uh, 
I had fun and I made some money, a little uh, little side money there that uh, I, I enjoyed for a long time until it became a career. And then it was all about money, I guess. Yeah. And so it was uh, initially you were just kind of stepping in or once you did it, you, you know, he hired you and, and, it, and you went from there and quit your job at the TV station. How did that transition happen? No, 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 no. I stayed at the TV station till 1978. So oh, wow. I spent uh, okay. eight years there as a peddler, as they say, uh-huh. and also a part-time wrestling guy. I'd probably put in four or five days a month on wrestling. The rest of the time was uh, was an account executive for uh, a Chris Craft station in Minneapolis, which ultimately became a Gannett property. Yeah. And uh, I bailed out of there, got in the advertising business in 78, uh, so I could uh, facilitate and have the flexibility to do wrestling, both uh, here in the U.S. and in Canada. And we traveled to Toronto, Winnipeg, and occasionally uh, Vancouver. But uh, it, it, it became kind of a big deal. And, and wrestling, I could even feel in the late 70s and early 80s that something big was about to happen. And it sure did. Yeah, and, and that was a pretty pretty big territory. He covered a lot of, uh, of area. Everything I mean, from, from Chicago, Chicago to San yeah. Francisco, wow. right. Wow. And which was kind of unusual because of the way the territories were carved up across the country. I mean, Ganya had a had a big stake, and uh, so you were getting a lot of play across the country. That's just when TV was. I mean, how did they how did they get their programs out? We know what Vince did with the syndication, but how did they do TV in those different markets then? The same way, the same way, same way. It was uh, all syndicated. They would bicycle the tapes, and there yeah. are so many great interviews that were ultimately erased uh, really? with guys like. The Crusher and the Bruiser, Mad Dog Vachon, uh, Jesse Ventura, uh-huh. uh, even Hulk in the early days. Uh, you know, he had a few rough rough edges on him, but he became probably one of the most uh, dynamic uh, on-air personalities for, for wrestling uh, in, in the history of, uh, of our business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still stay in very close contact with him, and I'm sure he's going to be back on the scene. Maybe not in the ring, per yeah. se, but he will be back as a major personality. Yeah, and Gene, during that time, and, and you talked a little bit about how you know you could do stuff with these interviews. You could just you know freewheeling. Basically, they would give you an idea. Okay, we've got a storyline here. Is that where you developed really uh, you know the style, the what what everybody be, you know came to know how you did these interviews then, uh, or, or, or you look back, you just say I was just I was just working. I mean, how did as you look back at those, was that really a period where you developed your style? I, I would I would say because I I took I took a lot of uh, the, the 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 traits and the strengths of a lot of guys on the air and uh, local guys, uh, some national guys, but uh, I kind of threw them all together, and it was a little uh, Henny Youngman, who yeah. was the uh, car dealer out in uh, out in California. Cal something. Cal Worthington. I can't remember. Cal, Cal Worthington. Worthington. Yeah. 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 Right. A little bit of that, and then maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, some guys like uh, maybe a Costas or a Gumble or some of the uh, the guys today that, that are real straight. Yeah. I'm not saying that, that uh, 
necessarily Gumbel and but but I say Gumbel and, and Costas uh, have certainly proved it in longevity, and uh, I enjoy what they do. Yeah, and do you think it was in a sense where, uh, like you you came across as a very uh, you know uh, direct interviewer, you you would stick, but kind of that tongue in cheek, and you were able to to just in a look. I look back at some of these interviews, and you would just look at the camera that and and it just said so much. Uh, that that was nobody's matched it since. And I remember being there and just watching you. Uh, it, it, it just, you know, were you, were you aware of that or was it just, just the way well, you did here, it? Here, here, here's the thing. You, you say, uh, tongue in cheek, yeah. uh, some of the big boys back on network television, uh, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, uh, were talking to, uh, uh, great athletes like, uh, uh, perhaps a, a, a Fran Tarkington or yeah. uh, some of the great basketball players and right. baseball players. And I was talking to Jesse Ventura. Right. So it was a little different. Yeah. And of course it would have to be tongue in cheek. Yeah. With the feather boa and everything else that went with it. Right. <laughs> right. You, you, you didn't see some of the big jocks of the day, uh, coming on with a boa. And right. spandex, and, and uh, who knows what else? Two rags on their head, and yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. So it was it was a little uh, abnormal, and uh, but I, I wanted to make it informative, and I wanted to make it entertaining, and yeah. hopefully that would equate to ticket sales. And in the long run, that's exactly what we did. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, you mentioned you know, Jesse from Minnesota um, was great at that. I don't know about his ring skills so much, but that kind of showed you how, uh, you know, these personalities were catapulted in, in front of people was, was how they performed in front of a camera. And, uh, there's kind of a misconception. Everybody thinks it was the Hulkster who, who crowned or gave you the nickname mean gene, but it was Jesse, right? It was Jesse. And I'd say that'd be, uh, circa 1977, yeah. uh, and a, a classic story. I'm not going to repeat it. But uh, <laughs> Jesse uh, was, was pretty good at doing things like that. Yeah. And he was into the rock scene, so he was a big name dropper, and he was really a, a target for a, a Mean Gene character. Yeah, that's great. And it, it stuck. And uh, But he was just one of, you know, I, I, you look at, at some of these great names that came out of Minnesota and Robbinsdale. I mean, uh, Ganya went to that high school there, uh, Robbinsdale High School, but you know, also, you know, Kurt Hennig and and uh Rich Rude. Yes, who would be uh, and, and certainly the Legion of Doom. Yeah. The Berserker. Uh, John Nord. The, the, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Viking and the Berserker and a ton of other aliases. You imagine going uh, to that high school, Gene? <laughs> well, <laughs> it must seem like uh, I, you know, like, hate, Marvel, yeah. like Marvel, like Marvel comic the, books, you know. Yeah, I'd hate to see what the uh, wrestling team looked like. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, uh, that's right. where they were shooting. That yeah, that must have been something. But um, what? But Minnesota? Do you think what, it was because of Gagne and and these wrestlers came there and they raised their families, or why was it such a hotbed for professional wrestling? Because they they were they were traveling four days a week, and most of it was by air, so yeah. it was easy travel. You weren't sitting in a car nine hours a day, driving. Uh, five, 600 miles between uh, towns and working seven days a week. So it was kind of the good life and the pay, quite honestly, Sean, 
yeah. was very good for a wrestler. Uh, even a, a mid-card guy would, back in those days, in the uh, early 70s, was making a hundred grand or a hundred and a quarter. Wow. And yeah. that's good money today, but that's it was money. great money back then. Yeah. And with that kind of a plush schedule, it was even more uh, in demand. Yeah. Um, did you first meet uh, Terry Balea I th- before, you, before WWF, right? Did I he met go him to the AWA. T- yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the first really stand up interviews that he ever did was done with uh with me right and i i I, we had numerous takes on uh market specific interviews Mm -hmm. and uh finally it 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 all kind of fell in place and this character developed and Mm -hmm. that's let me tell you something brother yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's where all that came from yeah 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 and but but there were rough beginnings it's kind of hard for us to to see that but when uh the hulkster and you see in some of those early matches that uh you know as we saw what it rose to it, it's interesting to see the very beginning of that and you were you were right there so it it, it did take a little smoothing of the edges and uh you were there to help him out <laughs> well as a matter of fact uh, even today he credits me with uh, uh helping him out initially and uh, as a result of that, I got a, uh, a huge payday on teaming up with him in uh, our, our, our home territory there in Minneapolis out at the Old Met Center. And we drew about 16,000 people. Oh. And Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene met the team of George the Animal Steel and the <laughs> nefarious Mr. Fuji. Yes, and who got who the pin? Great... Yeah, right. <laughs> and I got the pin. You got the Thanks pin. Thanks to Hogan. Yeah. Throwing me up in the air. But Fuji, I was uh, kind of uh, leery of him. He had that that famous finishing hole that took many of opponents out, and that was the old five-on-two. That's funny. Um, Did you see, though, at the beginning that that there was something about uh, Terry Balea, about about who would become Hulk Hogan? Did you? I mean, besides just the stature and everything, but did you see something in him right away? He came off the movie Rocky Three, where he'd worked with uh, Stallone. Yeah. And initially, before he even arrived, he had gone after the movie out uh, on a vacation out in uh, Hawaii to work with uh, Ed Francis and uh, Lord Alfred uh, or Lord James Blears and mm-hmm. uh, some of the guys out there. I think even Morocco was uh, was out there at that time. But uh, uh, he 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 came in, and uh, actually, I had a cutout of him that I would talk about this guy that was going to be coming to the AWA mm-hmm. in the next uh, few weeks. And uh, we put him over as kind of a, a heel. And his manager, who was with me, was a guy by the name of Luscious Johnny Valiant, uh-huh. who I'm sure you remember yeah. very well. Nobody could figure out what the hell he was saying, but that <laughs> was neither here nor there. <laughs> didn't but, matter. But, but all of a sudden, they take a look at Hogan, and they didn't want to buy him. As a bad guy, Vern Gagne, right. being a pretty good judge of character, said this guy needs to be a baby face. Uh-huh. And uh, hence uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, Incredible Hulk Hogan, uh, Eye of the Tiger, all of those things that kind of disappeared on that character as it emerged to what it uh, ended up being at, say, like a WrestleMania 1. Now, Gene, do you, and maybe you know the story on this and how it happened, that 
before he came to the AWA, he was really he was still the property of uh, WWWF with Vince Senior, and uh, legend has it, and that which means it could be absolutely untrue that he was not pleased that that uh, Terry had done this Thunderlips thing with with the Rocky movie, and th- is that how he ended up leaving and ending up in the AWA? How did you how, do you know how well, that well, went? Yeah, Vince Senior gave him the uh, the name Hulk. Right. Uh, or 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 Hulk Hogan, right. uh, so there was no confusion as to Lou Ferrigno and the Incredible Hulk, the right. big green monster. Uh, this was the blonde bomber, and uh, and Hulk Hulk actually did have a contract with uh, with Vince Senior, but uh, Vince Senior was a, a very understanding guy, and the business wasn't as rough or mechanical as it is today. Uh-huh. Everything, everybody is, has signed a, a contract for uh, services rendered, and uh, most of them are on, even even a John Cena today, who's a, a very big name in the business, along with many, many others. But uh, they work as independent contractors. They are not employees of the company. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I today work for WWE as an independent contractor, which yeah. is uh, good for both of us because it gives me a little flexibility to do some things outside of the, of the circle, the territory of the WWE. And I make various appearances. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All over the country and, uh, and the world too. Yeah. Uh, do you remember and taking you back then, uh, you would end up going to the, the WWF in 84, but prior to that, and all this was starting to crush, it was, you know, you, the rumblings of the WWF and, Vince uh, basically mortgaging the house and everything else to do what he wanted to do. But what were you hearing about what was happening over there in New York about, with the WWF? It, you know, I was thinking a lot of different things, but I know when you get guys like, like Hogan yeah. and behind the scenes, you've got a, a Pat Patterson and then you've got Vince who is an absolute uh, genius as, yeah. as we all know. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's not a softy, but uh, I don't think you could be and, and make it in this, in this game today or, or even back then. Yeah. Well, you can imagine, yeah, you can imagine what he was doing. Remember when he was taking over these territories that that was uh, not going over, didn't go. Not I was right, well. right yeah. there in the, yeah. in the front row, my office in, uh, in the Minneapolis is where the call emanated to Vern Gagne with an offer and a generous one because I overheard the whole thing uh-huh. that he was going to pay for that territory. Plus he was going to give Vern and his son, Greg, a job and use as much talent as he possibly could out of that AWA stable. Ganya yeah. said, uh, in two short words, uh, not interested. Uh, <laughs> were those the words and, or a uh, couple of others? Right, well, no, they, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't the words, but, uh, yeah. it, it, the, obviously that deal, uh, never took place, and to tell you the truth, Vern Gagne should have taken it, as mm-hmm. I look at it in we'll retrospect, because uh, he ended up uh, losing most of, uh, God, it was a fortune back then, yeah. you know, $40, 50000000 million, down to nothing. Wow. So how did the connection uh, start with you, with, uh, with the WWF? Was it a phone call? Well, was I, it, I, uh... I think it was Hulk, and the fact that Pat Patterson was so close with uh, Vince, they threw in a few good words. And actually, Vince is a guy 
that called me first. And, uh, of course, he, he was going for broke. And yeah. uh, he put it all on the line. It led up to, I think, WrestleMania one, which uh, would have been the, I guess, the, the point of either yay or nay. And it was a, a big yay. But back then, we didn't even have pay-per-view cable. Everything right. was on really closed circuit. circuit. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very archaic, uh, very tough. You had to rent out uh, any kind of a, a venue that would be, I guess, some of them like, uh, you know, orchestra halls and, and things of that uh, ilk. Uh, yeah. But today, you know, a WrestleMania going into uh, New Orleans in the Superdome and uh, 104,000 in Dallas a couple of years back, uh, big deal, big deal. Really? And when you get to 18 and $20 million gates, that rivals uh, top sports right now in the, in the world. Yeah. And, and when you came in, Gene, did you uh, expect to be such a big part of how that, you know, in front of the cameras and, the, and part of the, basically part of how the storylines went and then your connection to Hulk? Uh, did you expect to be that big a part of it? Well, not, not really. Uh, I, I I did play a, a a rather big part in the AWA because the interviews yeah. were were the the entertainment. You didn't yeah. have a, a Cena going against a AJ Styles or a Jericho or some other heel. Uh, you didn't have Hulk Hogan uh, going against another main eventer. What what we had in the AWA is what they would call enhancement matches. Right. And those enhancement matches would build up to the next live card in either Chicago, Milwaukee, Denver, Omaha, Minneapolis, St. Paul, uh, in San Francisco, Salt Lake, wherever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was all done with interviews. It wow. wasn't done with somebody uh, nailing somebody with a guitar like the Honky Tonk Man uh, or others. And uh, it worked. They yeah. drew huge houses. And when I, when I saw all of a sudden that they were taking kind of the entertainment out of, uh, of our television by putting on these huge main event matches on TV that normally you'd pay to see in a venue in your town. Yeah. So it, uh, it was a lot different than uh, initially yeah. when I was working with the old AWA. Yeah. And at what point, when once you had arrived with the WWF, did you realize that you know, this is, this is blowing up. This is becoming, uh, beyond just, uh, wrestling territories, wrestling fans that, uh, it was becoming mainstream. People were starting to take notice as they built up to that WrestleMania one in in 85. Was there a point when you said, wow, this, this is, this is getting big. Well, I, I, I'd say I came, I, the first event that I covered was back at the old chase or Keel auditorium in St. Louis in December of 1983. And actually, that was the very first time that I had met Vince McMahon in person. But I liked the way the guy operated. And he and I would do, he did the play-by-play, uh, call of the action, and I would do the color, believe it or not. <laughs> and it was kind of a, a a very straight Vince McMahon, along with maybe kind of a colorful Gene Okerlund. Not mm. that uh, the other color guys had not been uh, of that of that persuasion, I know Pat Patterson was yep. uh, you know a good technical guy, 
they even had Bruno San Martino at one time uh, <laughs> doing color, which <laughs> which a guy that uh, didn't really have command of the English language <laughs> was still did very effective. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they used to did they used to you used to make Pat say Rio de Janeiro just to just for, just for grins. But yeah, that, it's yeah. fun to listen to some of that entertainment that commentary. That, <laughs> well, that, that, that's a that's a great story on of Pat Patterson. You know that uh, he became the first intercontinental champion yes. and won the title in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and uh, I asked Pat one time, "How did you like Rio?" He said, "I've never been there." So that was kind of an inside uh, deal where <clears throat> the title was won out of the country and nobody knew about it. Yeah, and I think that is in the record books, actually. <laughs> it, it is, right. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's a good thing and that Pat found his place as, one of, let's say, one of the greatest bookers ever, that uh, he, that he uh, you know, removed himself from the commentary chair. But yeah, was, and, and, uh, and your, your, your initial question... And I was not ducking it. When did I realize that we had something? Yeah. I think, and, and, and I was a part of it, yeah. uh, which was uh, kind of a thrill for me. Uh, but I, I would say it was a year, year and a half in, and all of a sudden uh, we got going with MTV, yeah. which was a hot item uh, at that time, still is today somewhat. I don't know if it has the same then, stature yeah. that then it had it was back huge. then. Yeah, it was huge. But that was a rock yeah. and wrestling connection, yeah. uh-huh. and that was dynamite. That led to uh, the big event of, uh, of WrestleMania one at MSG. But other things like uh, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling, and uh, then per- uh, various pay-per-view events. I mean, take a look, Sean, at the Survivor Series, King of the Ring, yeah. uh, Royal Rumble, which Pat Patterson, by the way, uh, originated. It was his brainchild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the things really just became huge. And then NBC. My God, I couldn't believe that Saturday night's main event was going to yeah. be on a major network. Uh, at, at that time, was a big deal. Yeah. But that first WrestleMania... Did you realize what Vince was risking did, uh, at the time? I mean, he put everything on the table for this. Yeah, he he did indeed. And uh, he got very little help. I mean, everybody threw in their, their two cents worth on that. Yeah. Uh, nobody knew what they were going to be getting in terms of uh, a payoff. Uh, there were no guarantees. You got a piece of the house and other outside revenue. Uh, Vince did get a little helping hand. From uh, Dick Ebersol, who at yeah. the time was an independent producer, had mm-hmm. been involved with Saturday Night Live, with Friday Night Videos and other assorted uh, programs that basically aired on, on NBC. He ultimately became the uh, president, or should I say chairman of NBC uh, television. Yeah. But uh, uh, he, he and Vince got along very well, and they were kind of on the, on the same mindset. And uh, all of that, uh, I think, was a product of both guys early on. Yeah, and I think but that Vince, also... Vince, Vince did lead the charge. Yeah, and he definitely did. And uh, the thing also with Vince, and, and I was part of this uh, you know, influx of people that he brought in, that uh, he saw that the, the only way he was going to raise the bar, because the production values to that point with wrestling had not, you know, the, kind of the studio stuff and, you know, 
And he knew that I'm going to, I'm not going to find this within the world of wrestling. And he brought, started bringing people in from the networks. And that was, that was quite a collision. Uh, Gene, as I'm sure you remember well, that you brought a lot of these people in who weren't smart to the business. And then you had guys that were old school wrestling and it was the wild west. Oh, it was definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the addition of uh, Sean Mooney was a, a big deal. We're bringing in legitimate uh, uh, news guys, you know, entertainment guys. Uh, uh, and, and it all worked out beautifully. But I think that formula of people not being real smart to the business, at least on our side, uh, really was a, a, big, a big boon for our television product back then. Yeah, absolutely. But um, before they got there, and this is why I like to talk about this uh, when people ask about, you know, the production and how they did all these shows. And I I think you spent some time in Baltimore, but, you know, it was very pretty much a very, very small staff. Kevin Dunn, uh, Kevin Quinn, uh, Larry Rosen. And those it really was remember edit one. It was just this small staff. I I say I refer to once we went to went to Stanford, which was my home. That's where I first went. But I know you guys started, you did stuff in Baltimore, and the production eventually moved, but it was with Kevin and a very small staff. Yeah, and got Kerwin Silties, Rob Wright, Kerwin, uh, yeah. uh, Bob Dean, all those guys. Uh, a lot of them came out of uh, the Baltimore production facility, uh, which was, uh, I believe, Studio One or Fields Video. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then you take a look at, I was just in this week uh, in uh, Stanford, and take uh-huh. a look at that facility now. Uh, You've been man. in there lately. Yeah. It is just fabulous. Yeah. They've got and, uh, a virtual studio. And Vince just bought up for the company. WWE is a publicly held company. And a huge piece of real estate adjacent to the current facility. So that is going to be something else in a couple of years. All the uh, sports guys are, are now moving to uh, end entertainment guys to Sanford. They're yeah. out of Manhattan and into Stanford, like yeah. uh, NBC Sports. Uh, I see uh, my old friend uh, Vic uh, Gonzalez, Victor Gonzalez, mm-hmm. and the, the S Network is there. Uh, Springer, Murray, uh, all of the other guys, uh, Charlie Small Potatoes guys, but actually big in syndicated television, emanating right from Stanford. So it has changed. Yeah, and Vince had a lot to do with that. And but uh, I look back though at some of that stuff, Gene, and the WWE Network is really amazing to be able to go back and see some of the stuff. But I still die laughing looking at some of those reports that you used to do, where you would be in the uh, the studio or the uh, control room. Remember you do these, and you you could you just went. I think they just gave you and said, "Go, Gene." And I know Kevin would be in there and he would say, he'd be, I don't know, you'd be smoking a cigarette or something. And I remember the hijack bit and, uh, you'd have, you'd be on the phone. Did you just, that was just, you just went, right. You just had to get from one place to another and you'd have guys walk through. Uh, how much fun was that back in the day? Well, it was a lot of fun. Plus, uh, <laughs> I had, uh, kind of carte blanche, uh, yeah. creative control. Yeah. Uh, after a while, I probably, went a little over the, the, the edge <laughs> or over the top. And all of a sudden, with uh, numbers like six and eight household ratings for <laughs> All-American Wrestling on yeah. Sunday morning, yeah. uh, that has got the Jeez. attention 
of a, of a few of the brass. And when they finally said, what the hell is this guy doing to garner those kind of numbers? Yeah. And then they take a look and, uh, some didn't appreciate uh, my sense of humor. Yeah. Well, I certainly did. And I know there were yeah. millions we of did. others who did. We still continued on. So <laughs> really that, that stuff is so classic. And it, as you, as you mentioned, uh, that in a lot of ways to me, when they took that away, when they started doing controlling us completely, and I had the opportunity because I did a lot of those Coliseum home videos where with the, you know, uh, we would, they had no idea what they were going to do with that. And, um, they would just say, not, okay, not a lot got... of direction there. No, but was great because Alfred and I, we would literally go into that prop closet at, at Hamilton and just find things. I remember one time they had, they had done some vignette, I think it was for tugboat. And so they had all this, uh, you know, sailor stuff. So, uh, Alfred put on the Admiral's hat and I'm the swabby or he was the swab. I can't remember. And we just went go. And, uh, it yeah, was but that just, was good was stuff because uh, it wasn't written. Uh, it was. No. It, it came. It, it came out of uh, here in Alfred's head. And by the way, Lord Alfred Hayes is was one of the most enjoyable people oh, that okay. I ever had an opportunity to work with. Yeah. Uh, and you know how close I the, was to him. Yeah, you know how oh, close I was very, to yeah. him. Yeah, it's like and me it, and Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Yep. And who will we will will we'll be talking about here? But. Uh, it is a damn shame that Alfred is not in the Hall of Fame yet, and that is something I I hope is, is soon corrected because not just for what he did in the ring, he had a, a, a tremendous uh, career as a wrestler, was a great heel, did uh, really awesome uh, promos, but what he did with Vince, uh, you know, all those years when they were on the, yeah, on the air. talk show, yeah, yeah, that's so, fabulous. Uh, that's a big and miss. he 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 will be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I, I hope it's, I, it's sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hope it's sooner than later. Definitely. We don't, we don't want to anybody there. to forget him. But yeah. thanks to the network, nobody is going to forget him because uh, he is uh, ever-present on, on the WWE network today with uh, everything he was involved in. Yeah, so, and he did, he did a lot. I mean, they, people don't realize uh, how much he was involved in uh, when he was the sidekick on the, the, the talk show with Vince. And, uh, you know, he just he, he was he did a lot for the WWF. And I, I really hope that's corrected soon. He was something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so anyway, I was mentioning I got there in, in 88 and uh, I, th I think you were just overloaded. I mean, they had you doing everything. I came in, I think Craig DeGeorge was on his way out, who was doing kind of what I ended up doing. But uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, was Gene, on, uh, you know, uh, having heat with Vince at the time? Was he going to leave? Were you going to replace? And I said, no, I was never, there was never a, I wasn't brought in to replace Gene Okerlund. There was no, they just needed help. <laughs> yeah, remember they well, were starting that, the event that, center then. Right. Yeah. And, and the event center, Thank God, probably saved my life. Yeah, I was going to say because, you wanted no uh, part of that. Yeah, and and we couldn't do uh, uh, generics uh, for these uh, uh, individual markets where events were going. Uh, you, you had to do something that you could tie into the market. That's what really, really made it, and that's why the event center uh, worked uh, uh, as it, long as you could do it. But uh, my God, I was doing 120 interviews a day. They were each yeah. three minutes long or 254, and you just can't do that on yeah. and on and on. I had no. 
eight years of 300 days a year on the road. Wow. That's, that's insane. So, and, 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 and that was no picnic for you in that event center five days a week either. No, but when you, as you just mentioned, I don't know if people really understand uh, what you were doing, the original, the way they would do these events to plug uh, local shows, folks, was that they would, you know, get the talent and they would line them up and they'd bring them in and you would do, you would customize every one of these markets with the talent. And uh, Bruce Pritchard says that he was, you know, a big part of this, how they just came up with this concept. But it was a really great idea because this way you would just have the, the superstars cut their promo for that particular uh, run, whatever they were doing. And then I would be the bridge between all that where I would customize it and say, you know, this Saturday night at Madison square garden, Hulk Hogan, you know, takes on macho man, Randy Savage. And that would be my job. And I could just do them one after another. And then they would piece all these together. But that was a yeah. massive operation to try and we, have we, one talent do that. And do each one of those customized. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, there's no way you could have kept doing that. There's no way. No, no. That uh, that, that just we we uh, uh, just before you came in, uh, Craig DeGeorge uh, leaving, we did a, a, a kind of a version of the event center and the market specific interviews, and mm-hmm. it was called face to face. I don't know if you recall that or not, but. Uh, I had enough profanities come out of my mouth and the talents yeah. uh, where we, we had did. to do things over. And that's something you don't want to do. No. And it was, well, and, it was yeah, you talked painful. about testing your, yeah. And, and, and it was, believe me, at times it was uh, unbelievable, uh, unbelievably stressful in the event center. And uh, because you would have one of these guys get hurt and it would affect 20 markets or whatever he was doing. And you'd have to go Let's back. Let's do him over. Oh, yeah. And I remember I've told the story. They had the red phone on the desk that just had a light that would blink, and it would be Howard, because Howard, remember, he was the one that was in charge of all these interviews at the time. Oh my God! Don't and remind me. He would call me, and I'd pick up that phone because it didn't beep unless something. It didn't go off unless something bad happened, like somebody or you have to change this or whatever. And I just dreaded when that thing because and there is tape of me throwing the phone across the studio <laughs> because yeah. you do you reach your point. Where it's just, we were customizing, you know, 90 markets a week at, at some point because they were doing so many shows. They're doing two and three shows sometimes on a weekend. Uh, Gene, you know that well. Right. And it was, right. it was it was just incredible. This is what it was yeah, really. Yeah, they do uh, a Friday, Friday night, a Saturday night, maybe a Saturday afternoon, and then a Sunday afternoon and night. And they'd be doing that in three or four markets. Yes. So it was yeah. huge. Yeah, they, they, they were doing uh, twelve, fourteen hundred shows, live shows, house shows, a year. Yeah, it's just today amazing. they do four or five hundred. Yeah, but Gene, you were you were so uh, good to me back then, and uh, I was this young green kid. I don't know. I looked back. I saw I saw one of the audition tapes, the audition tape that I had. I'm like, how in the world did they ever hire me? And when I went into the event center, Howard, who was a ring announcer, had me screaming. You know, like I looked like I was some kind of opera singer or something. And finally, I just said to him, Howard, I can't. First of all, people don't talk like this. And I can't keep doing this because I won't have a voice. I'll get to 10 markets. And finally, he said, all right, you know, oh, OK, you think you can do it? You know, wait. And he let me go. And that's when I finally kind of found my place. But uh, that was just part of the of the job. Uh, doing the, the live pay-per-view shows is where, you know, I used to love doing those shows because 
you know, we actually got to do these interviews with these superstars. And as right. we've talked about, you know, uh, for the most part, they let us do what we wanted to do. We could react. We could be you know, part of it. We didn't have memorized lines we had to do. We, just as long as everybody hit their mark and did what they were supposed to do. And I think they were classic. Some of those were, were just classic. And, and it was yeah, a fact. And, 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 and that's why they were so effective. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the, the scripted interview of today uh, is, is quite as... Uh, is quite as you know compelling as effective that's for sure yeah yeah and and entertaining as, yeah. as they were back in the old days oh no kidding uh where uh, what are the ones that stand out i mean of course hulk uh, was always great but were there other guys yeah. that you really had a good time uh interviewing and i want to talk about bobby separately but as far as the superstars go i mean you know others that really stand I, out I, to you i i would say that uh there were there were a lot of them, and I can mention some names, but I mean uh, Randy Savage. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed working with him because, believe it or not, he was a professional. Oh, he thought absolutely. about everything he was going to do. Sheik, yes. Sheik, the Iron Sheik. <laughs> My God, how many entertaining hours came yeah. out of that man? Yeah, uh, and you never knew what was going to happen, but you knew it was going to be entertaining. <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was probably good that way. Piper, yeah. Piper was, yes. uh, was an great. automatic. Yeah. Uh, later on, Rick Flair, another Minneapolis guy. Yeah. Uh, Jake. And, Jake was Jake and, Roberts and worked under uh, Vern Gagne initially. Yeah. I did his first match, as I did really? for Ricky Steamboat and wow. Bob Backlund. Yeah. So uh, uh, those those were kind of uh, another guy that I enjoyed was Andre. Yeah, because uh, he kind of mumbled, yeah. and uh, ooh, believe it or not, ooh. half of the time he probably was in the juice. But uh, <laughs> I know that I got the knocked off the set yeah. one night in the, at the garden. <laughs> By a, a, but it was a, a, a case of wine a day. Yeah, yeah. And that but was, I, that I was loved it. I loved the guy. I, I traveled with him extensively, yeah. Yeah. and believe it or not, a very sensitive guy. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's the thing, Gene. That. It, we I've talked about before that you know can you imagine the light that he had people just you know always he was always a spectacle to him to them but yeah. if you if you knew him and if you didn't uh, you just you know I think that I got along with him well because I never ever went up to him and say hey what's going on or whatever it was always kind of when you went but he but if you were if he liked you if you were in that circle I mean he was awesome he was just one of the nicest people I ever met and there's and that's uh, no no doubt about it. Yeah, and he he also, uh, in addition to having a, a good palate for fine wine, yeah. he also uh, appreciated the the culinary talents of a guy at that little French restaurant in Greenwich called oh, La Bretagne. Yeah. Yeah. It was Jean Louis and Marc and uh, the all male waiter staff. Uh, but I mean, Bobby Heenan yeah. said one time. They they don't need a mater d. They need a coroner because they, they <laughs> liver, heart, kidney, liver, yeah, <laughs> tongue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you love that place. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, another one of the some of the more challenging uh, warrior I thought was always a, a tough one. Oh, because yeah, could could be a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and 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 there were others. Uh, Ken Patera. Yeah. Was uh, a, a little bit of that. 
uh, usually, like uh, for a ravishing Rick Rude, and that character was over big time with yeah, the Rude right. Awakening. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, Bobby Heenan was his mouthpiece. Yeah. Well, thank goodness for managers. That's the reason they have them for some of these guys, right. because they can't. Right. I mean, there's uh, uh, the countless people. And, and, and pretty, with pretty that. Blassie, pretty Blassie was a classic, uh, uh, you know, with with his guys, the Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. But yeah. uh, the managers are, we don't see them today. Oh, God. And with that, uh, I want to talk about Bobby. And I know that you were really close to him, be, way beyond uh, him being a manager or the one of the greatest color commentary guys. Uh, I know that he was one of your closest friends. Yeah, well, I traveled. Uh, I worked a total of 28 years with Bobby yeah. and uh, in, enjoyed it. Sometimes he was a pain in the ass. He could be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for the most part, I would I would say that uh, I respected his talent, how glib he was, his ability to put people over, to put angles over, to put storylines over. He was just a genius yeah. in that respect. And uh, I, I, I just so didn't like to see the last five or six years of his life. It was painful for all of us who knew the guy. He yeah. also had a very close relationship with the late Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much wrestlers. Maybe a Nick Bockwinkle or a couple of other guys. But uh, but Bobby, Bobby was, uh, he, he, he liked the broadcasting end of it. And he turned yeah. out to be a hell of a broadcaster. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, I, I, you look at uh, some of these reports back when he first started and they say he was, you know, one of the worst. And, and then, come on, uh, Shortly after that, he was known and to this day as one of the greatest ever. Uh, I know some of that ha- uh, happened because of the pairing with, with Gorilla uh, Monsoon, or Gino as we know him. Uh, but right. really, the, the two of them together and, uh, you know, they were uh, just magic together. And, I, and I, you know, you can talk about play-by-play guys, you can talk about commentary guys, but that team. They got it. They got it done. Call yeah. them whatever you want. Yeah. I don't think you can label Monsoon and Heenan. You just say there's the two of the best, yeah. and they got it done. They absolutely did. Uh, Gene, do it. You know, a lot of people ask me all the time. I'm sure you you get it too about these interviews that we used to do during the pay per view events, and uh, a lot of them that we we would do what they call pre tapes, where we we would tape them prior to the broadcast. But then we also did a lot of live ones because they'd be after matches, and they wanted it to be, you know, uh, very realistic at that point. But I don't think people really understand how it works. Uh, we, and we would do uh, how many uh, that we did over the over the years. But um, was that one of your favorite parts of, of our job, was doing those interviews? Well, the, the pay, pay-per-views were a little easier yeah. than the regular 9-to-5 world that I lived in yeah. with doing 100 interviews a day. Uh, you, could, uh, you could do take two and not yeah. offend anybody. Because you wanted them to be absolutely perfect. But I think therein probably was kind of the downfall of the spontaneity of the live interview. Yeah. And once you pre-tape them, eh, you can change it. That's how my F-bomb uh, got on uh, SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a pre-tape, and yeah. uh, I, I actually dropped a expletive. 
and uh, it got on the air. Yeah, and that's yeah, and that's one thing I, people need. I wanted them to understand because you would never do that during a live uh, interview. And what happened was is that we do the pre-tape, and whoever was on tape that day on the machine, that's the way they did it back then, folks. Is they rolled it to the wrong take, and that rolled. And I remember hearing it in my ear and going, "Uh oh, that's not good. Somebody did yeah. something wrong there." Um, but stuff happened. Well, I, I, there, actually, there, there was, were probably four or five different takes and yeah. events would take, take a listen or look at them. And yeah. obviously take number three where the backdrop went over, yeah. uh, was not going to go on the air, no. but, uh, the guy, you know, queued it up in the first 15, 20 seconds were perfect. He rolled it back, rolled it into the show. Yikes. There it goes. But yeah. things like that happened that, that, uh, you, as Vince would say, remember at the end of these production meetings, nothing can go wrong. And we would all know that mm, it's live but. television. <laughs> That's right. But there was, you know, sometimes you do these interviews and you'd be five guys in there and they're stepping on your feet and you're trying to get over to a guy with a mic, you know, to make sure you get him in there. And if it's live, you got to get it done. And uh, right. we always somehow figured out a way to do it. Uh, the other one I wanted to, because people all talk about all the time, is to put that cigarette out. Uh, yes. Lay that to rest, Gene. On, you, you on what know, you know what? On. I was out of material and I needed a crutch. I had no, no clue where that was coming from. And, uh, there was somebody smoking a cigarette. Normally I would not acknowledge that, but, uh, I happened to do it that one time and people still talk about it today. And that was 25 years ago. Yeah. 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 Well, we all knew, and I think that a lot of people, This, I think that uh, part of the, the legend of it is because we all know how much Vince hates cigarettes, hates, mm. hates anything smoking. So they thought that, oh, that, uh, that was a dig, that he did that just to, you know. But uh, like you said, stuff happens. It just, I know there's a bunch of stuff out there that I have that uh, I wish would go away somewhere, but uh, it, this stuff lives on, and it's just, it's just incredible to me. But yeah, man, and, and, and to think about it, uh, on the set of All American, where we we were in an actual uh, master control, a control room, yeah. uh, with all of the uh, lights, whistles, uh, bells, buzzers, everything else. And uh, back then, it was so tedious that occasionally I would light up a cigarette, which I haven't touched, by the way, for twenty years. Yeah. But uh, and you could see the smoke kind of curling up in front of the camera. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you had it down there in an ashtray, right? Right. So, and and like... Linda McMahon, uh, secretary of the uh, Small Business Association or administration, yeah. was the one that noticed it. And uh, they took away my ashtray. So <laughs> <laughs> I got punished. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Like you needed it. You could have found a cup somewhere and used that. But, right, uh, yeah. right. But the point was taken. <laughs> yeah, well right? taken. Yeah. And, and those and the Saturday night's main events, you talked about those and Dick Ebersol. Uh, did you remember, realize at the time how big that was? I mean, it was national television, uh, pretty much prime time, late. But, man, it was... It, I, well, it I, went I, into I, prime time. It started out replacing uh, yeah. Saturday Night Live yeah. once a month. But then it went into prime time, and I think we ran it probably once a month. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of that, I ended up doing a ton of Friday night videos 
on NBC. Right, right. And that was for Dick's production company. No Sleep Productions, and, remember? No, you're right. And I would work with uh, various characters on that, some of our talent, but guys like Jimmy Hart and Hillbilly Jim. And uh, a lot of us kind of reunited for the, the Legends House, which we did back in, I think, 2013. But it just went on the air like uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you reality, mentioned that. Re- reality television. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know I, I, I did a lot of these podcasts with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was also one of your housemates. Uh, what was that experience like? I, I got his take. Yeah, it was painful. We were, <laughs> we were there for 31 days. Uh, no, with no, Howard no Finkel. telephone. Yeah, Howard Finkel, <laughs> Jimmy Hart, Tony uh, Piper. Yeah. Uh, Tony Atlas was my roommate. Uh, uh, Hillbilly Jim. And the Pat Patterson. Yeah. Uh, I did have some fun moments, but uh, all in all, I don't think I'd do that again. Yeah, that was that was a one-time deal in life. But I, I, I'll right. tell you, it was, it was it was very entertaining. I, I thought the show was. I watched the whole series. I binge watched it, and uh, you know, at the beginning, I was thinking, "What is this? Just going to be? Are they going to rename this cranky old men in a house? You know, because yeah, everybody, right. was just, you know." But well, then it was, as it went it was, along, it was set up that way. Yeah, it was it was set up for uh, confrontation, and oh, I'll yeah. tell you there was some confrontation. Yeah, I know that Jim and uh, Tony almost uh, came to blows. They but did. as it ra- yeah, and as it wrapped up though, it seemed uh, how you guys came together and and you all spoke about some of the the you know trials you've the challenges you faced in your life and it, I really I thought it was uh, a great a great show and the way it ended up I I would totally understand why you wouldn't want to do it again but. Uh, I thought it was it was great, and and I think for a reason yeah. they haven't done another one since then, because of the the cost and uh, and just what was involved in that. It was just amazing. Oh, huge, huge production uh, expense. Yeah, and that yeah. we uh, we we were in uh, one of the Marx Brothers mansions out in the uh, Rancho Mirage, Harpo's house. Yeah, yeah, it was Harpo or who was ever married to Barbara that yeah. eventually married uh, Frank Sinatra. But uh, it was neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, they did. They did provide us with alcohol. Thank God. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, it was great to have a day at the office and then lean back and go through three martinis. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, as we start to wrap up here, Gene, uh, I, I want to move to '93 uh, when, um, or '94, I guess, when you went to. Uh, WCW was that? Yeah, I think was it ninety three yeah, or ninety three? September of ninety three. Okay. Uh, I had a, a non compete that they uh, enforced for, I think sixty days. So actually, I didn't go on the air at WCW until November of ninety three. Yeah, and I left but, in ninety three uh, too. Yeah. Well, I didn't come south though. No. Uh, some good things happened there. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed. The freedom that I had there, because I kind of call my own shots. But was it time, to, Gene? Was it time to to leave WWF? Oh, you felt like you'd done everything, De- and, and I know it was a really difficult yeah. time. Then it was a lot going burned. on. Burned. I was burned. Totally yeah. burned. Yeah. Uh, but this this offered me a very light schedule, but still doing what I enjoy doing, and uh, they treated me like first class. Plus, I made uh, made some good money. Well, not good. Great. Yeah, and uh, nine hundred number that, that that made it even more enjoyable. 
Yeah, how did that? How did the nine hundred number come up? Was that uh, your idea, that or was what? Part of the deal. That yeah. was part of the deal. That was the brainchild of myself and a guy by the name of Barry Bloom, who was yeah. probably one of the most active uh, agents for wrestlers uh, yeah. of all descriptions, and also broadcast talent. And uh, I, I got a chunk of that and was able to promote it. And it was uh, just, I mean, it it just uh, paled uh, compared to anything that I had gotten up north. And I, I think Vince might have even had a, a little something to yeah, do with that. After that, yeah. In putting, putting me over uh, where it cost Ted Turner a little money. But uh -huh. I, I have nothing bad to say about Ted Turner. And I certainly have a lot of great things to say about Vince McMahon. Yeah. You hear a lot of bad raps about the the guy but hey listen the world is different today because of him yeah certainly the world of professional wrestling there's no question about that and you were yeah. there for those monday night wars that really uh as as rough as that may have been for a time and between these you know the superstars uh you know going down there but it did it changed the world of professional wrestling and many believe for the better because up to that point, they weren't getting contracts and they weren't getting really uh, their share of, of what they were putting out there. So what, mm. what is your take on that on that period and what it did to wrestling, Gene? Well, uh, you, you, you had uh, a huge uh, corporation, uh, which uh, ultimately became a Time Warner. Uh, AOL was the death of that company. And uh, thank God they spun that off uh, as quickly as they could. But in the meantime... WCW had gone away. The one thing that I think that really established something different in our business, I saw a little bit of it this week on Raw, the invasion of uh, SmackDown and the different lineups, and that was the NWO. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, my good mm -hmm. friend Kevin Nash, mm -hmm. and then ultimately Hulk Hogan. And wow, that just... Uh, that lit that uh, that Monday Nitro on fire, and whatever it was Wednesday or Tuesday Night Thunder and a ton of other shows. So uh, there were some good things to come out of it, but ultimately uh, they closed the book on that one. Yeah, and uh, a lot of them talk about the fact that the schedule was good, the money was good, but in the end it was it was uh, it was tough to be there. And um, you know we really don't have to get into what happened happened at the time but it it did change how uh, professionally uh, how professional wrestling would move forward forever and uh in many ways good ways because these uh you know personalities these uh superstars are now you know getting a piece of it and it's uh it was uh, a great period of wrestling if you look back at it and how it changed things well it, it since i started until today uh, after, after they closed the doors on uh, on WCW, I had just signed a new three-year contract with uh, Turner Sports, mm -hmm. and uh, so I I had that. I could have gone for three years without doing anything, but Kevin Dunn called me one day and said, "We got a little project here called Confidential. It's mm -hmm. a working title, but it's going to be kind of an inside magazine type of show, and we'd like to have you host it." And that's when I worked with our mutual friend, Chris Chambers. Yes. And Mr. we had Chambers. about a two and a half year run with uh, Confidential. It just became impossible to 
uh, adhere to any kind of a uh, reasonable production uh, schedule. Yeah. Yeah, because everything had to be current. That means I was in there on Thursday and Friday recording that thing for a play on Saturday night doing a two rating at 11 o'clock at night. Wow. It just was not worth it. Yeah. But coming back, how different was had the WWE changed when during that period that you were gone and, and then ca- coming back into the company? Well, I, I, I would say I, I think they were a lot more competitive because yeah. they had, uh, you know, taken a little bath in the eight nineties, uh, late nineties during the Monday night wars. And, uh, all of a sudden it was uh, kind of a different world. It was a lot more buttoned up than it was when, when I left in 93. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's really a change because, you know, during our era, when we, when I was there, there was still a lot of the old school generational wrestlers, the, uh, Fabe was kind of still there, the uh, and the way it was just operated, and and now it's it's much different. It's, it really is a business, and a lot of these guys that come in don't come from a wrestling background. Is is that been good or bad for the business? I think a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's a yes or no. A lot of gray area in, yeah. involved in in that, and that's that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. And you were inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, in 2006 uh, by Hulk. What did that mean to you, Gene, after all the uh, years? Big, 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 big thrill. You know, uh, the induction mm-hmm. uh, was, was a big thrill for me. It, it meant a lot. He, by the way, uh, just said, whatever I've got, I'm going to cancel if you're going into the, uh, into the Hall of Fame and there's not going to be anybody but me to do that induction. Yeah. And, of course, he... <laughs> He, he kind of went out there and told a few things he shouldn't have, but that's neither here nor there. Right. And all is forgiven. Yeah. And, and all the people that uh, are very close to him, he's got a tight circle of people that you know, he trusts. I know that you're one of those people. I, I never, you know, when I got there, he was already just in the stratosphere and we never really, you know, we did hundreds of interviews together, but we never had that kind of relationship. But people say, and, and after all he's been through, uh, that, you know, we just did a, a podcast on him, and I still think that he is uh, the reason that the WWF became what it is. Gene, uh, Gene that uh, you know, Hulk did what he did in the ring, and Vince did with his genius with the promotion in there. But without him, uh, I don't think there's no way it would have become what yeah. it became. Yeah, you got to have somebody uh, take care of the execution, and yeah. nobody did it any better than Hulk. There were yeah. a few that uh, uh, touched it, but. Uh, you know, the Savage and the Flair yeah. uh, later on and Piper and certainly Andre was a, I guess you could call him a novelty act, but he was a big part of WWE, WWF, all of them. Yeah. And, uh, and all of the guys, uh, whether you played a supporting role or a starring role, they were all important to the success of that company. Yeah. Yeah, and I still, though, I tell you, I've never seen human beings react to a person uh, like Hulk Hogan in my lifetime. And I've covered no. every sport there is. And I'm telling you, when you walk in an arena, when that pops and it just blasts right through you, the, the, I'll, I, I never have experienced that. I don't imagine I ever will again when he was at and, the height. And, and, and we, uh, uh, he and I take the, the wives out once uh, once a month for dinner. Uh-huh. We'll either do it in... Uh, 
in Clearwater or St. Petersburg and uh, or here in Sarasota where I live. And uh, we go in, he, he still gets the, gets the, the house to kind of stand up and acknowledge who he is. He'll yeah. never be forgotten. And uh, he's having a few physical problems, but I'll tell you what, he's still the old Hulk. Yeah. Uh, he's living a good life. Jennifer has been good for him. Yeah. And uh, he's got money, a lot of it. <laughs> and and it's, it's all good. Yeah. And, and Jane, is, uh, if, could you have ever imagined back in 1971 uh, when you decided to step into the ring for Vern Gagne that uh, you would be where you are now, uh, that all this would have happened in your life? No, and I'm, I'm still, <laughs> as you know, I've just signed a, a new uh, a long-term contract at, at my age. I don't know <laughs> if they're insane or not, but uh, it was working out good for, for all of us. Yeah. And I, I never thought it would have lasted this long. You could say it's been a hell of a run. And I think we're going to take it all the way to the end. That's I'm doing awesome. vintage today. We're doing WWE story time. I'm doing yep. some other things on the network. But you know what? A lot of the old stuff is really kind of the cream of the crop. Yeah, it is. Uh, That's why all these people. That I did with Bobby Heenan. Some of yeah. the old shows, stuff with Mean Gene and Sean Mooney. Yeah, that's uh, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you've yeah. seen recently, but you got to take a look at. Remember, we did the Coliseum video out on the golf course with Bobby, and right. Uh, oh my God, was that funny stuff? That just <laughs> classic. And I tell you, folks, that was all just go. We didn't have scripts. It was just, all right. And I had this big, long, remember I had, I'm in full dress. I've got the blazer on and I've got this microphone with a cord, with a, a cord on it. That's gotta be, you know, 500 feet long. If it's anything, <laughs> I'm following you guys around. And I show up all these places and you guys were just so funny. I it's just classic. Check it out folks on the network. Uh, yeah, Gene, if, if you, if you work with a guy long enough, like I worked with Heenan, yeah. uh, you kind of are on the same same wavelength, oh. and those things just fall into place a little easier. Well, so, Gene, Gene, thank you so much for the hours and hours of entertainment, and I know we've got uh, plenty more to see. Uh, I'm glad we've been able to to stay connected over the years here and there, and uh, and uh, want to thank you for all you did to help me in those early days with the WWF. And like I said many times, when it comes to announcers in the history of professional wrestling, I'll say it again. There's Gene Okerlund, and then there's the rest of us. Gene, you're a Very true Very kind of you, legend. and Sean, good luck with this podcast. I've enjoyed it immensely. All right. Thank you, Gene. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Primetime. Uh, Gene has remained a good friend over the years. It was awesome talking about some of the old days in the uh, WWF, WWE, and uh, he still remains a good friend to this day. Be sure to tune in next week with one of the most accomplished people I know. And, man, I, this, is, this is incredible. In and out of the ring, Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, now, this is a man that really didn't begin his wrestling career, if you can believe it, until he was 35 years old. But not only did he become one of the biggest names in professional wrestling, he eventually made it to the WWE Hall of Fame. He's now an entrepreneur with his DDP Yoga He's out there acting and he's writing books. You're going to hear all about it next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern time when the next episode of Prime Time drops. So do not miss that one. It is a 
a great conversation. And as promised before I sign off here, it's time to give away another unreleased, never-before-seen matches DVD. And I want to thank everyone for going to iTunes and giving us the review and the rating. So now it's time to go to the... The ding, ding, ding bowl and draw this week's winner. So here we go. You hear him in there? Okay, I'm stirring him up. Here we go. That's going to win it. It is Matty 9982. That's Matty, M-A-T-T-Y 9982. Matty 9982. Congratulations. You have won the never-before-seen matches DVD. The unreleased never-before-seen matches DVD. Okay, so I want you to DM me on Twitter, and give me an address, and I don't care where you are. Like I've said, I will send this signed DVD to you, okay? Also, go and check out Primetime with Sean Mooney Tees at ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, get your Sean Mooney Who Tee or one, another one from the collection. I promise there will soon be more. We're working on some uh, new designs, and I promise I will call everybody who buys one. Uh, that's ProWrestlingTees.com, and that is just about going to do it. Please keep the comments, suggestions, and uh, your list of superstars you want to hear from coming. You can reach me at Sean Mooney Who on Twitter or at Primetime MLW on Twitter. Also, email me. Uh, those who have uh, know that I answer you back. Email me at Primetime at MLW.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time. I'm out. Stops. Interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T.